it is so good to see you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for Daily Devotions through Redeeming Life Fellowship. I'm glad to see that you're keeping up with the reading plan, even through the hectic holiday times. And uh, today, we're going to be jumping into Revelation chapter 19. And before we jump into the text, we're going to be focusing primarily on verses 1 through 9. And today, I wanted to pause and make a few general observations about chapters 18 through 22 as a whole. Indeed, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, the final five chapters of Revelation. Because I think this particular chunk, uh, this section of Revelation, is actually really instructive for us as Christians who think about the nature of our hope for heaven, for glory, for indeed uh, a grand conclusion. Uh, Because as we've been reading through Revelation, and there's so many different ways to read through these texts, that you can know at the very least, no matter what scheme of interpretation that you apply yourself to reading through, is that uh, history is going somewhere, that the story that that John is outlining and revealing through these uh, just awe-inspiring visions and signs of judgment and salvation and glory and suffering and beauty, that uh, all of these things, that they're going somewhere. Indeed, that as we've been reading through, uh, through you know, chapters essentially 1 through 17, By the time that we reach 18, we realize that we're entering a stage where human history is getting drawn to its conclusion by its author, and its conclusion is being wrapped up and unpacked and and, and drawn to our focus in chapters 18 through 22. And so, what we might call this this last uh, chapter or last few chapters, this climax that we've been uh, ascending towards, we could call it uh, indeed the day of the Lord. And the capital D, L-O-R-D, that is the day of the Lord, meaning that the day, the time when God once and for all is going to invade. He's going to once and for all make things right in in his creation and the world that is that he's made and what we'll find in this I, I want to use this illustration that with let's look at this coin right here with the day of the Lord the day of the Lord is a two-sided coin uh, on one side you're going to find salvation and on the other side, you're going to find judgment. And that whenever it is that, that the day of the Lord comes, as indeed it has come at several occasions, whether we're talking about the day of the Lord uh, uh, for Moses and um, Egypt and Pharaoh uh, and the plagues that were unleashed and brought about salvation for the people of God. We can talk about that as the day of the Lord. We could talk about 
God's delivery and rescuing uh, Hezekiah from the uh, armies of Assyria as a day of the Lord, where there's salvation and judgment happening simultaneously. Uh, Indeed, we can look at the cross as the day of the Lord, because both at the same time there is uh, judgment uh, uh, of evil and salvation brought for humankind uh, simultaneously in one element, so that whenever it is that we're talking about um, the day when God finally comes, finally returns to make things right, it always involves judgment and salvation. Those are two sides to the same coin that we talk about as the day of the Lord. And why something like that is so important is that, for one, as you're reading through chapters 18 through 22, you're going to see uh, these profound uh, images that have been ratcheted up, ratcheted up, ratcheted up all throughout Revelation that are reaching this climax, that it's like a climax of judgment and a climax of salvation that that that, that history is reaching. Um, not because history of its own accord is going to reach this, this climax, but rather because God is bringing it to fruition. And so, so in the first place, yes, the day of the Lord always involves uh, judgment and salvation. Judgment and salvation are two sides to the same coin that we call the day of the Lord. As another observation, and then we'll, we'll continue, is that you've heard the saying that uh, history repeats itself, or history is cyclical, that there's patterns of human history that repeat themselves primarily because human beings are involved and human beings are repetitive. We make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And sometimes I think we're led to the false belief that, that as long as there's human beings, in their natural state, that history indeed will continue to repeat itself ad infinitum, that just it will go on and on and on and on and on, and that there's the only thing that we're going to be hoping for is really just more of the same, more of the same patterns that are wrought about with new advancements of uh, technology and uh, and, and it's just it's just going to repeat itself. And what we'll find in, uh, in, in Revelation chapters 18 through 22 is that even as we've seen in, and know by experience how it is that history repeats itself, is that this sort of thing is not going to go on forever. That you and I, as human beings who live in time, who bear the image of God, God has destined us for eternity, for life in God's eternal world. And our hearts long for that. We long for this eternal life where sin, death, corruption uh, is washed away and God brings newness of life, regeneration, a creation made right as it was intended to be, that we enjoy that and participate in in God's good world, that our hearts long for that kind of thing. 
with with all of those things is that it's fully possible, indeed likely, about the way in which our appetite for eternal life uh, can actually be corrupted. Uh, it can be uh, spoiled, as so many things can be, by, this is in the words of C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, about how Satan can have a way of corrupting our appetite for, for eternal life and life in, in God's eternal world by the suggestion that somehow we can turn earth into heaven by our own corruptible means. That we can somehow turn earth into heaven by politics, by eugenics, by psychology, by science, by um, our wit, our intellect, by our good intentions, by our uh, um, philanthropy, uh, that if as long as we hold on to those things, we can be the sort of people who are primarily responsible for bringing about, indeed, heaven on earth. And what that ends up doing is that it means that, that our hearts become firmly attached to the earth because we believe that heaven is something that we can bring about by our own will, by our own desires, by our own wisdom, and indeed by our own self-righteousness. And when we do that, the only thing that we're going to bring about is more corruption, more sadness, uh, uh, more decay and death and destruction. And we're going to repeat those cycles of history over and over and over again. And what we'll find in Revelation chapters 18 through 22 is that consummation of history and its purposes and its meaning and hope for for real life, lasting life, is has to be the sort of thing that can never be done on our own steam and us bringing about by our own efforts, our own salvation. God has to do something because on the day of the Lord, the two things that we need most, salvation and grace from God and judgment on the forces of evil that bring about corruption in God's good world, and indeed, that corruption that our hearts, our very hearts are tainted with, that God has to deal with, that these have to be brought about by God's hand. He's the one who can only bring about true judgment, lasting judgment. He's the only one who can bring about true salvation and lasting salvation. And what we'll see in Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 9, not surprisingly for that matter, is how the host of heaven and all of God's saints, that is, all of God's holy ones, people to whom uh, their hearts are devoted fully and completely to God and are faithful to Him to the very end, that they they worship God because they can see about how God's purposes have been brought about 
through his everlasting salvation, through his everlasting judgment simultaneously. And for that, they worship God for who he is. Because he's the one who's actually been able to bring about human history. That, 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 that the temporal affairs of human history, that the curtain is drawing on them, and the curtain, on the other hand, is rising towards, um, towards eternity. And so let's, let's just sit down and read together Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, that is praise the Lord. Salvation and glory and power belong to God, for true and just are his judgments. So even within the first verse and the, the, the second part of the second verse, we already have images of salvation and judgment on this day of the Lord. Uh, whereas history is drawing to its climax right at the very beginning. But let's continue. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his saints, for you, er, you who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard the, what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. This is what we're talking about. How in consummation, the, the, the wedding supper of the Lamb where God and his people are finally brought together in that intimate fashion that was intended to be from the very beginning. It's an image of Eden where, uh, where God and his people are dwelling in renewed, complete, uh, uh, uninhibited fellowship and, and the life that comes from fellowship with the living God is finally recovered and that um, that that we can have intimacy with God in a way that our hearts genuinely long for and let's let's continue and it says this yes fine linen bright and clean was given to her to wear uh, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints then the angel said to me right blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb and he added, these are the true words of God. Yeah, as the, the, the heavenly host and all the saints who have gone before are praising God uh, because this is the time when God is finally making things new and that uh, salvation and judgment are finally being brought together or, and, and being exacted fully and completely. 
And what I want to close with this, Bryce, Faith, Glenn, Luke, B, Tom, Bree, Bethann, whoever's watching this, is that one of the things that we'll come to notice is that as history is reaching its climax, it's become pretty clear that there is this sifting, this separation, where it's becoming harder and harder for there to be any kind of middle ground or life on the fence. That by this time, uh, the, the, the destination of whether or not somebody is going in one direction or another is, frankly, it's done. Uh, where there's, there's no longer any this this period of wavering between two positions, as indeed uh, uh, Elijah condemned uh, the prophets of Baal and people who are following, uh, uh, people who are supposed to be the children of God who are following Baal because their hearts were attached to this corruptible idol that only brought about just more death and destruction that never could save anybody anyway. And he says to them, well, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? If God if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But no more of this trying to have it both ways. We're not going to be able to have it both ways. But that what you're going to see here, what we, all of us are going to see in, in, in these last few chapters, chapters 18 through 22, is, again, one of the ways... It's, uh, it's Lewis, again, put it so so sharply and so clearly when he said this. What we'll see here in the end, that at the end of human history, there's really only going to be two types of people. At the end of history, there, all of human being, all of humanity can be neatly uh, divided into two different groups. There will be one group who say to God, thy will be done. And there will be another group to whom God says, thy will be done. Only two groups where the people who experience the everlasting salvation uh, of, of God are those whose hearts are conditioned, uh, uh, who, whose hearts are sanctified by the Holy Spirit, who respond to God and say, God, you are in charge. This is your world, and you've come to redeem it and make it whole. And to that we say, Amen. May your kingdom come and your will be done. But then there will be others to whom God says, Your will will be done. That is, I'm going to give you what it is that you asked for. And that if you want no part in this world that I've come to redeem, then... I'll give it what give you what it is that you asked for. You can go on in 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 your your in your sinful state and living life like as if you were your your own savior, you're your own lord, you're the, you're the person who's in charge of your own life, who frankly think that you can go on with your business and your doings and live in a world without God. I will let you do it. Uh, I will let you go in the path that you've decided. Uh, 
And, um, and so we as the readers, in the same way as the readers, the seven churches from the very beginning would read something like this. We would ask ourselves, which group do we, uh, are we belonging to? Are we the ones who say to God, thy will be done? Or are we the ones who are so preoccupied with our own desires, with our own ambitions, that uh, even we may only just want God insofar as He can achieve our means and our ends, that God will say to us that, that in our petty little human kingdom and say, yes, thy will be done. At the end of that, there's only death, only eternal destruction, only a lake of fire. Uh, where, where God's judgments uh, endure, and indeed they're, they're, they're everlasting, um, they're complete, they can't be changed. And, uh, but now, as Paul says, is the day of salvation, where, as we've seen throughout Revelation, where there are occasions, periods, where God brings about a temporal judgment and the witness of the church to bring about repentance so that uh, uh, we can indeed choose God and we have the freedom to do so. That today is the day we do that. We'll close with this. There is no, no earthly kingdom that its promises for security, wealth, power, prestige, honor, and glory of its own accord that if it goes on, will will turn into Babylon and a Babylon that is destined for hell. Even people who spend their lives in the church, who who have their their hearts affixed on their own self righteousness and their own deeds, uh, who are headed for a Christless eternity because. They've lived their lives based upon um, their own methods and means for, for, um, for salvation, wholeness, and completeness. And, and, and I don't want to be that kind of person. I don't want you to be that person either. Who in your heart of hearts find their meaning, their security, their, their hope for the future by means and that are that are destined to futility, God offers us something so much better. Indeed, something that actually lasts. Bree, Bethan, Glenn, Bryce, Faith, Luke, B, Tom. It's God's desire for you, for us, um, to build our lives on foundations that will last. And the only lasting foundation is the kingdom of God um, and the purposes of God that are made manifest here on earth through Jesus Christ and that any other foundation is a foundation of sand that's going to crumble. Um, but God offers us hope, indeed, real, lasting, living hope through His Son. And it's my prayer that that, that picture that... that that John is painting for us, that our hearts would indeed be captivated by that hunger for heaven and that hunger for eternal life and to find it satisfied, truly satisfied 
in God and God alone. So uh, let your hunger for heaven, um, that insatiable appetite for, 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 for life and hope in God's eternal world, um, let it drive you. Let it be the appetite that swallows up, indeed, uh, uh, all other appetites. Um, and not even just uh, uh, absorbing them, but rather sanctifying them, uh, so that 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 our our primary hunger and our desire for heaven is the sort of thing that has a way of being contagious and uh, uh, um, for all of our other appetites and all of our other desires, because um, our love for God is the thing that um, is foremost in our hearts and our minds. So. I've said enough. I've clearly had uh, some lovely coffee, too much of it perhaps, but thank you so much for taking the time to, to uh, enjoy, I hope you've enjoyed our daily devotions today. I hope you've uh, subscribed to the YouTube channel so you can get daily notifications as we're following, and I pray God would bless you and keep you, sustain you as only he can, and that uh, we would just continue to grow in the wisdom, the knowledge, and the glory of God. Uh, to his, to him be the, the, the glory and honor forever. Amen and amen. Take care.